The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. I wonder, do you have a favorite kid's toy? And not like a, a kid's toy from when you were a kid, but like a, like a well, unless you are a kid, um, but like a, a present-day kid's toy. Like if, if you're a parent, is there one of your kid's toys that is your favorite? This is, this is mine. I have spent no fewer than hours playing with this particular toy, sometimes with my kids present, and sometimes when they are not present. And, and what it is, it's, it's hard to explain, but uh, um, I'm going to try. Um, and so what we see here is in the middle, you see a stage, and there are these plastic instruments that go around the perimeter. And so if, if you can push a button and it plays music, Beethoven, something like that. And as you place the different instruments on the stage, the instrument joins in. And so if you put the tuba on the stage, you'll hear bum, 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 bum. Doesn't sound like Beethoven, but that's what you hear. And then you add the piano. And then you add the clarinet. And then you add the guitar and the flute and the drums. And you can add instruments or remove instruments as you desire. And it's this, this incredible thing happens as you, you begin to kind of conduct an orchestra of, of sorts. You're, you're building uh, a symphony. Uh, you're, you're building a musical ensemble. And you can fill out the music. You can say, oh, I, I just want to hear the flute melody. And, and, and so you drop that on there and take everything else off. It's, uh, it is, uh, it's, it's incredible. And, and again, I've, uh, I've, I've wasted a lot of time um, playing with that particular toy. But it, this is where my mind went when I, I thought about uh, our, our uh, passage for the day. Because what, what we have here in, uh, in our passage is, is Paul doing something similar with the church in Rome. Now, back to the musical ensemble. What, what makes a musical ensemble? A musical ensemble is something that is, is comprised of both unity on the one hand and diversity on the other hand. And so we have a diversity of instruments, right? We have woodwinds and, and brass instru- instruments and stringed instruments and percussion instruments and, and keyboard instruments. You might even have vocalists, right? So we have sopranos and altos and tenors and baritones. So you have this incredible, rich diversity of music, and, and, and yet, a bunch of musicians in a room doesn't make an ensemble, does it? So you can pack a bunch of, in, uh, uh, you can pack a bunch of musicians into a room, tell them to just play their favorite song. This is not an ensemble. You see, they have to be unified. They have to be playing the same song, producing the same musical piece. Everyone playing his or her respected part alongside others playing their own respective parts. And the result, the result is beautiful music that we get to hear and 
and enjoy. And the same is true in the church where we, we make our own gospel ensemble of sorts. And so what, what goes into a, a gospel ensemble? Well, it's, it's very similar to a musical ensemble. We have diversity plus gospel unity, which results in gospel harmony. Beautiful music. You see, diversity. You see, gospel unity is not opposed to diversity. We've seen Paul tease this out a fair amount over the past few chapters. Gospel unity, it's not opposed to diversity. Rather, it's achieved in the midst of it. Of course, we need to talk about which kinds of diversity are appropriate and which are to be avoided. In fact, Paul later on is going to give us a warning about that very thing. But for a gospel ensemble, we need diversity, the diversity of the body of Christ. Secondly, though, we we need gospel unity. We need to be unified, unified in the Lord, in Christ, in the gospel. We all need to be playing the same piece of music, don't we? Our own respective parts of that same piece of music. Otherwise, uh, we, we won't have gospel harmony, but we'll have disunity and chaos. So if you add these things together, diversity and gospel unity, we have gospel harmony. Everyone playing his or her respective part alongside others doing the very same thing as they play the same beautiful song together. And so this is what we're going to watch Paul kind of unpack for us. Uh, But now, look, diversity and unity, these aren't new concepts for us in the book of Romans. These have have both been prominent themes for us now for the past few weeks as as we've been working through the past uh, two or three chapters. Think back to Romans 12, where we read this, for as in one body, we have many members. One body, many members. Diversity, unity. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and and individually members one of another. Later in Romans 13, Owe to no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. A sense of unity. Romans 14, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. The strengthening of our collective unity in Christ. And then finally, I think this one is uh, particularly applicable. Romans 15, 5 through 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And so what, what Paul is going to do now in our passage here in Romans 16 is, is paint for us a, a, a beautiful, tangible, living picture of this harmony in motion in the church in Rome. And so it's, what Paul is going to do here in, in Romans 16 is not an exercise in abstract. He's not going to talk about harmony in theory, but in the flesh, 
real earthy people, real brothers, real sisters in Christ. He's introducing us to the Roman church gospel ensemble. Acknowledging their diversity and the numerous differences that exist between them while highlighting their uncompromising unity in the gospel and their commitment to gospel mission and gospel ministry. And so we're going we're to see two different parts in this passage. We're going to see a, a whole collection of greetings on the one hand and a very direct warning on the other hand, as, as, as Paul warns the church about threats to the ensemble, threats to this gospel harmony. And so let's, let's jump into the greetings then, beginning in verse 1. Now, now you, you probably noticed as Sandy was reading that there's a, a lot of repetition in our passage today. In fact, the word greet appears in the text 22 times. 22 times. Re- remember, we... We read in, in chapter 1 that Paul hasn't yet been to Rome. He hasn't yet been to Rome to visit the Christians there. Now, that, that doesn't mean that Paul and the church in Rome are, are complete strangers. Paul is, he's very familiar with, with a number of, of the saints that reside there. You see, over the course of Paul's travels and in his ministry, he's not only crossed paths with a number of the Christians in Rome, but he's actually labored alongside some of them as well. And then, of course, there are others that Paul hasn't yet met in person, but you could say their reputation precedes them. And while the Christians in Rome weren't, weren't perfect, and we've seen this. Paul has addressed some of the potential tension and, and infighting and conflict that may have existed in Rome. Word of their reputation in Christ has made it to Paul. And it was good. We read in verse 19, he says, Your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. And so while not a perfect picture, the picture that he is about to paint, I think is, is worthy of us taking note and, and even emulating to an extent, following the Romans as they themselves follow Christ. And so Paul, as well as those who are with him, we're told in verses 21 through 23 that this is Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, and Tertius, who is a scribe of this very letter, Gaius, Erastus, and Quartus, Paul and this crew, they, they greet the church in Rome. And, and as Paul does so, he, he paints this beautiful picture, this helpful picture for us of the harmony, the, the diversity and the unity that is present in the church in Rome. And so let's, let's be introduced to the Roman church gospel ensemble. Well, Paul begins with a commendation for Phoebe. Now, he, he describes Phoebe as a servant of the church at Centria. And so what we see here is that Phoebe is actually not a part of the Roman church. Um, he, he writes this, I, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, now this, 
this word for servant here, when he says a servant of the church, this is also the same word that we see in the Bible for the office of deacon. The office of deacon. Now, we don't, get it, we don't need to get into the weeds here as to the specifics of, of how Paul is using the word. Is he using it more broadly as a servant? Is he using, using it more specifically as uh, a, a deaconess? But I'll just put my cards on the table. I, I think that in context, it seems as though he's likely referring to Phoebe as a deaconess. Someone who is in the office of deacon. And that's because Paul doesn't just stop at commending this sister as a servant of the church, but he goes on to instruct the Romans to, quote, help her in whatever she may need from you. You see, Phoebe comes to the church in Rome as one with a certain degree of identified and delegated authority. Paul is very clear. This is a woman that you need to help out. Help her in, in whatever she may need. Go, go out of your way to provide whatever assistance she might require. Food, lodging, supplies, dignity and respect while she's there, and so on and so forth. A few observations to make about Phoebe. Uh, first of all, again, she's a deacon of the church in Centria which is one of the the ports of the city of Corinth, which is where Paul was when he penned the letter to the church in Rome. And so uh, Paul is is careful to instruct the Romans to welcome her warmly, hospitably in the Lord. This was important because Phoebe wasn't from around Rome. And so she would need to come with a commendation of sorts. Secondly, Based on the fact that Paul's commendation of Phoebe comes before the final greeting, before the final greetings that follow, many commentators agree that it's very likely that Phoebe was the one who delivered Paul's letter to the Romans. Lastly, Paul says that Phoebe has been a patron or or benefactor of many, including Paul himself. Now, there's debate as to what specifically this patronage might have entailed, but one, com- com- one commentator, Colin Cruz, summarizes well for us in this way. He says, it is reasonable to say that recent studies of the word and the fact that Paul's description of Phoebe, both as a deacon of the church and a benefactor of himself and many others, is sufficient to show that she exercised a significant ministry in the church at Centuria in addition to being a patron of Paul's ministry. Now, this isn't the primary point of emphasis of the text, but it it makes sense to stop here and to point out the fact that this is, this right here, the the first couple of verses, uh, serves as evidence that women played significant roles in the ministry in the early days of the church. And this is made absolutely clear by the fact that, that Paul's letter to the Romans, perhaps the greatest letter ever written containing the very word of God, was carried and delivered to the Romans by one such woman. And Paul says that my ministry has benefited greatly from her. Her contribution to my ministry, her her patronage has been invaluable. Now, what follows then, what follows his commendation of Phoebe is a long list of of greetings 
for Christians in Rome. It's, it's interesting that Alan said that he's going to be with 26 individuals. We actually have 26 names in the greetings that follow. Um, we read 26 names, but, but actually the list includes many more people than that since uh, he, he extends greeting to households, entire house churches, and so on. And so we read in verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So, so Paul mentions these two, Prisca and Aquila. Prisca elsewhere is, is referred to as Priscilla. These two were, were likely a husband and wife team. Three times in Paul's letters, he makes reference to Prisca and Aquila, and they're also mentioned three times in the book of Acts in chapter 18. These were the two that pulled Apollos aside. Do you remember this? In Ephesus, and were told, explain to him the way of God more accurately, which is interesting because we see that Apollos actually had a pretty good handle on, on his theology, but he only knew the baptism of John. And so here, Paul explains that these two risked their necks for him. In other words, they saved his life. They saved his life at great risk to their own lives and to their own safety. You see, they, they, were, they were willing to trade their own life for his, if, if that's what it came to. At some point, in the past. We don't know the specifics. Perhaps it's when the riots broke out in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Paul gives thanks for their selfless acts of courage on his own behalf. But not just thanks for himself, but, but who else? But for the Gentile churches as well. Why? Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles. And so were it not for Prisca and Aquila sticking out their necks, risking their lives in order to save Paul's life, you see many of these Gentile churches never would have been planted perhaps. They, they might never have heard the good news of the gospel. There were many in the Gentile world that, that owed their salvation, at least in part, to the selfless acts of Prisca and Aquila. And it seems also that a, a house church met in their home. And so Prisca and Aquila, they, they get a couple of verses in here. Now with, with one exception, Prisca and Aquila, and, and one other name in this list of, of 26 names, these are the only names that we find elsewhere in the New Testament Scriptures. All of the other names, uh, this is the, the one and only place that we see mention of these names in the New Testament. So he, he says, greet my beloved Apanatus, who was a first convert to Christ in Asia. He, he refers to him as, as his beloved, and so he was, he was apparently a dear friend to Paul. The text literally says here that he was the first fruits of Asia for Christ. Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. This is probably not one of the Marys that we see mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. But this Mary 
has labored in service to the Lord and a ministry to the Romans. And Paul greets her. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They're well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So we have Andronicus and Junia who, who are, are well known outside the walls of Rome and had been imprisoned with Paul at some point in time in the past for preaching Christ. And Pliatus, my beloved in the Lord, Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who has improved in Christ. That is, he's, he's a genuine believer in Christ who has been tested and has been approved. He says, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Notice that Paul just greets the family of Aristobulus, but, but not Aristobulus himself, which probably, probably means that he wasn't yet a Christian. Those in his home were Christians, but he himself was not. Greet my, uh, my kinsman Herodian, and greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Like Mary, these three women have labored faithfully in service to the Lord and in ministry to the Christians in Rome. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. This is the name. This is the one name and the remaining names that we find elsewhere, Rufus. I wonder if you recall where we read the name of Rufus. It's in Mark 15, 21, which says, They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. Now, we can't be certain if this is the Rufus, the son of Simon of Cyrene, who was picked and chosen to carry the cross of Christ. But I do find it really interesting that he greets Rufus as chosen in the Lord and, and how appropriate those words would be if, in fact, he is the son of the man who was chosen to bear the cross of Christ. And it seems that whoever this Rufus is, Paul knew his family well because his, his mother, his mother was a mother to Paul. A spiritual mother, perhaps providing for the, the physical, familial needs of Paul as well. Just beginning, as, as we read through the list, and as you kind of look past the complicated names, you're beginning to see just how beautiful this ensemble really is, how, how beautiful the harmony is that the church in Rome made together. Greet Asyncritus, and Phlegon, and Hermes, and Patrobus, and Hermas, and the brothers who were with him. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. And then greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. See, not only does 
Paul greet the Romans, but the eight others who are with him greet the Romans. And in fact, he greets the Romans on behalf of all the churches in Christ. Two Pillars Church. We're not just making our own gospel harmony here. We're not just a part of our own gospel ensemble, but we are a part of a larger capital C church gospel ensemble as, as we're united together along with the other churches in our city. As we're united together with the, the other Jesus-loving, gospel-proclaiming churches around our country and around the world. Enjoying all kinds of wonderful diversity, all united together by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, producing beautiful harmony as a gospel ensemble. Now, one commentator, Peter Lampe, has done a thorough study of the names listed in our passage today, including analyzing other Roman writings and literature and picking out occurrences of the same names that we see here in our passage. And, and here's his breakdown. This is so interesting. In this list, of course, we have 26 Christians, two non-Christians, most likely, as, as Paul referred to their households, who presumably were believers. We have multiple house churches or house congregations that are listed here. We have nine women, 17 men. Many of the women are commended for their hard work in the Lord, as well as some of the men. This list contains both Jews and Gentiles. Lampy actually claims that only three of the 26 can positively be identified as Jews. 14 out of the 26 were presumably not born in Rome itself, meaning that they were, they were immigrants. And this is, this is the one that I find to be most interesting. It's probable that more than two-thirds of the names listed here in Romans 16 have slave origins. Either were presently slaves or were freed men and freed women. This reflects roughly the Roman Empire population at the time, the, the, the Roman population at the time. The Roman population at the time as a whole would have been approximately 30% slaves, 30% freed men and freed women, and then 40% freeborn men and freeborn women. And that's, that's just the beginning. There's so much more variety and diversity represented in this list of saints. We have different stories, different backgrounds, different families, different roles and relationships in the church and in ministry. We have those who labor in ministry alongside those who fund ministry. We have entire families of believers and, and some families where unbelief remains. 
We have dear friends. Those who open their homes and show hospitality to others in the church. We see those who have been arrested and jailed for their faith in Christ. Old converts and new converts, those who were prominent and influential, alongside those who were former slaves, those whose works were famously well known, and those who served Jesus in obscurity. And on and on and on. All commended together, all greeted together in the same list. How, how, how is it possible that all of these people with their, their differences and, and the variety and, and the diversity that exists between them, it was because of the unity that they enjoyed in Christ. See, another word or phrase that we see repeated time and time and time again in this passage is the phrase, in Christ or in the Lord. We see the, the word greet repeated 22 times, in Christ or in the Lord appears 11 times. You see, the unity enjoyed by this diverse church is made possible only by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, according to Paul, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. As diverse as this crew might be, it's, it's the power of God for their salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. You see, it's a gospel of Jesus Christ that unites believer to believer, and it's a gospel of Christ that unites church to church. And this is a Roman church gospel ensemble that Paul is presenting to us. And it would seem they're making some incredibly beautiful music. And church, I, I just, I want to drive this point home, this point of application home with us. We have our own little gospel ensemble here at Two Pillars Church. I, I wonder, as you read through this list, I, I wonder if you can see yourself somewhere on the list. And look, it doesn't matter where you're from or what your story or background might be what your role is or isn't here, whether you're a volunteer or a leader of volunteers, if you're one laboring in gospel ministry, if you're one funding ministry, if every one of your kids has grown up to love Jesus, you're still waiting for some to bow to Jesus as Lord. It doesn't matter if If you're a recent convert or if you've been walking with Jesus for decades, if your, your good works are, are known famously around the church or if you labor in relative obscurity, it doesn't matter if you're influential or if you make a lot of money. All of us are on the same list. All of us play our own respective parts in making beautiful harmony as a part of this gospel ensemble. And because of that, all of us make a significant contribution. Just like that music machine, if, if, if I pull off the flute 
which isn't as loud and, and boisterous as the tuba. We're not making the same music anymore. We don't have the same depth anymore. We, we're not making the same beautiful harmony as, it, as we were before. So Two Pillars Church, we too, we too are, are making our own music. Now, the, the warning section that follows as, as we continue on. So we, we, we're talking about all of the greetings, and now there, there's a warning section that follows. And uh, admittedly, this, this might feel a little bit abrupt as he's greeting this person and that person and this person and that person. But look, it, it makes complete sense considering how Paul ends this particular section. When he says in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. So he says, greet this person, greet that person, greet their family, greet the church that meets in their home. And oh, by the way, everyone get in on this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. He's saying display affection and warmth toward one another. Draw near to one another, embrace one another, tend your unity, cultivate your unity. But look, not, not without discernment, not without care, because there are some whom you should not greet in the same way, but rather, Paul tells us, we should avoid. And so that brings us then to the warning, starting in verse 17, and the, the, the first Part of this warning is, is, is to watch out and avoid. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, which sounds kind of mean. But this is, this is how important the unity, the gospel unity was. It was being enjoyed in the church in Rome. And it's, it's, this is how important the gospel unity is here in our church as well. He said, watch out for those who would cause divisions, who would create obstacles contrary to the gospel doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons, they do not serve our Lord Christ. I'm, I'm reminded because of what he says next, of, some of, of, of a story we read of in, in John 6. Because Paul says, they do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And it's in John 6 that we see Paul gathering together, uh, or actually has a, a crowd follow him after he, he feeds a large crowd. He multiplies fish and loaves. And in this crowd that he fed, they, they follow him along to another place. And, and what we see Jesus pointing out to this crowd that's following him is, hey, you're not following me with your heart. You're following me with your stomach. You're following me and engaging in conversation with me, not because you see that I am the son of God, but because you ate your fill. And in fact, this entire crowd by the end of the passage, abandons Jesus. They abandon him. You see, they, they call themselves followers, they call themselves disciples, but, but such persons do not serve 
our Lord Christ. They, they, they serve their own appetites. And Paul says they're smooth talkers. And they use flattery to deceive the hearts of the naive. And so look, Paul has explained to us in the previous two chapters that the gospel unites us even in the midst of, of disagreements over secondary and tertiary issues. We can disagree over things like this political candidate or that. Alcohol or no alcohol. Mask or no mask. But we can't disagree about the primary issues of the gospel. The gospel is non-negotiable. That one is, is justified and made right before God only through faith in Jesus Christ. That, that in Jesus, God took on human flesh and lived a perfect, sinless life. That he was crucified in our place, taking on the punishment for our sins that we deserved, exhausting the wrath of God that was owed to us for our sin, that he, he died and rose back to life three days later in victory over sin and death. And after appearing to many, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And as promised, he will one day return to judge the living and the dead, to consummate his kingdom, to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. A failure to be united in these primary issues of the gospel of Christ, it threatens to destroy the harmony that we enjoy. It threatens to do violence to the gospel harmony that Paul has been teaching us about here in the, in the latter chapters of his letter. Take, take the bodily resurrection of Christ, for example. This is non-negotiable. This is an issue that we should be willing to shed our blood over. Why? Because in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that if, if Christ himself hasn't been raised from the dead, then our preaching and our faith is in vain. We should go home because we're wasting our time. And the Christian faith is a sham. And so if someone comes to you with smooth words and flattery, serving their own stomach, telling you that the bodily resurrection of Christ doesn't matter, Paul says, watch out. Avoid them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, but avoid them. Because these are those who would cause divisions in your midst. They don't serve Jesus. They, they serve their own stomachs. And, and they deceive the naive. And what I think Paul really wants to do here is he wants to protect the Romans who, again, their, their reputation precedes them. And, and Paul says that what's happening there is good, but he wants to, he wants to protect them from naivety. He wants to make sure that they're ready and prepared for potential threats. He wants to make sure that they're vigilant intending to and protecting their unity in Christ. Not, not paranoid. Not suspicious of everyone around you. But vigilant. He says, watch out. And so he wants them to be on the lookout. Secondly, he says, be wise and innocent. I, I think this is in response to the the word naive, he says, your obedience is, is known to all. 
so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So as opposed to being naive, be wise. Understand and know what is good. What is good doctrine? What is good teaching? What is good theology? What are the good works that you are to walk in? And be innocent as to what is evil. Thirdly, he says, tells him to wait in hope, promising the Romans that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This, this might bring to mind Romans 3.15, where we see most likely that the first proclamation of this gospel that unites us together and the Lord speaking to the serpent says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And now we have Paul promising the Romans after having just warned them about people who through smooth talk and flattery want to come in and, and destroy the harmony that they enjoy, he, he promises them that the God of peace is soon going to crush the head of the serpent under your feet. See, God will soon deal the final death blow to Satan, destroying him once and for all and removing sin and the threat of division and disunity from our very midst. Two Pillars Church, there is coming a day when we will no longer have to watch out, but instead fix our eyes on Jesus and, and behold, his, behold his glory. When our faith will become sight, there is coming a day when the Lord will usher in a once and for all peace no more factions, no more cliques, no more divisions, no more disunity, no more conflict, no more fighting, no more church splits, no more territorialism in our city. One day, this will all come to an end, and the God of peace is going to usher in that day. And until that day, Greet one another. Until that day, let's celebrate the gospel unity that the Lord has blessed us with. In our church, let's celebrate the unity that the, the God has, has blessed our, our city with. Acknowledging and honoring our differences and our diversity, yes. But cultivating and protecting and, and celebrating, celebrating our unity in the Lord as well. Gospel unity plus diversity equals harmony. Two Pillars Church, the Lord has assembled a beautiful ensemble in our midst. Let's make some music together. Father, oh, we're grateful. I'm grateful that you have pulled this incredible collection of, of saints together here in the body of Two Pillars Church. I'm, 
I'm thankful for the differences that exist between us and for the unity that we enjoy in the midst of those differences. And I'm, I'm thankful, Lord, for the, the gospel harmony that you have blessed us with as a body. And Lord, we pray that you would protect this harmony, that you would protect our unity and that we would be on the lookout for those who would do violence to it. And that we would be vigilant to tend to it and to protect it, Lord. And Father, we, we long, we long for the day when Jesus returns to usher in this once and for all peace. Until then, Lord, would, would you sustain us together? In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.